Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the program. We jump right into it. Digging a little bit deeper into one of the big local stories of the week, huge in fact, uh, because it's, uh, it marks perhaps the, the biggest step forward in the Pillsbury Mill saga since the plant was abandoned a couple of decades ago. News this week that uh, the nonprofit group Moving Pillsbury Forward has acquired title to the land, a big step that is supposed to allow it to be able to uh, do environmental study, start to apply for grants, maybe actually see real redevelopment happen on this uh, long, dormant and hazardous site. Chris Richmond is the president of Moving Pillsbury Forward and is here with us this afternoon. Chris, thanks for taking the time. Welcome to the program. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to be here, Jim. Uh, well, thanks for having me on today. You know, I, I have to admit, and I do owe you a bit of an apology because uh, I don't know that I gave voice to this publicly, but internally, I was pretty skeptical when, when you said that your nonprofit group was going to try to obtain the title to this property. You wanted to, to take it over and take on that responsibility. I just wasn't sure how all of the legal issues would get sorted out or how anybody would even want to step forward and say, hey, let me be responsible for this hulking eyesore but but you've done it so it kind of explain how this came about and how you were able to pull this off sure sure glad to do that you know it, it's uh, over the course of the last two and a half years of course we put together a think tank working group uh spent several months uh looking critically at the issue uh the capacities of our community to deal with a project like this and what the most appropriate fit was what we heard resoundingly from uh, you know local government was you know this this the city was uh, concerned with the liability and the unknown price tag. Uh, I had lots of people tell me privately, hey, you know maybe the right fit for this is a not for profit, and if you can utilize a not for profit to manage down uh, the liability uh, concerns um, for the for the for everyone else involved. That might be the way to go. So we we pursued that line of thinking last year when we set up the 501c3 not-for-profit. We worked with over a dozen attorneys on this project to this point. Uh, of course, we had to, to, to get our own attorney involved, but we had uh, three attorneys with the Attorney General's Office for the state of Illinois and one with the IEPA. Um, but I also got uh, you know our county attorney involved, uh, our state's attorney, Dan Wright. He did a great job at researching uh, the environmental law and and giving us interpretations on how we could manage liability best. Um, we utilized that. Of course, we used the attorneys from the city of Springfield, and uh, we had another attorney set up an LLC uh, to hold the hold the deed to the property. So, all told, it was about a dozen attorneys worked through all of that, including the court case with Judge Madonia, and. Uh, it came to a head this last week where we were able to take possession of the site. Now, I'm sure all of that legal advice makes for some scintillating reading, but but maybe you can distill this <laughs> down in layman's terms. Because uh, since you've taken acquisition of the property, you now hold the title to it, don't you, in fact, bear some potential liability if something goes wrong there? Or, or, or how big a risk does this pose for your group, for you personally, for other members of your board? Uh, what have you taken on here, and, and what what might you be saddled with? With. Right. The, you know, the biggest perceived liability at the beginning of this was, oh, my gosh, there's contaminated soil and it could move off site and have off site consequences that would cost big money. 
Um, well, what we knew is, you know, this was a, a food-grade facility for the last 90 years. So the likelihood that that was the case is pretty low. But what we did to manage that is, is we did what was called a phase one environmental survey of the site. We did that about a year ago. It, it, it cost some money for us to do that. So we, we, we had some generous uh, private donors, and, and we utilized the community foundation to do some fundraising for us. And we were able to get that phase one environmental conducted to, again, help us assess uh, what the potential liability was. Once we had all that information, it was over a 1,000 pages of information, we got comfortable with the fact that uh, it was very low likelihood and that the liability risk was much less than, um, than we might have uh, worried about. So... Um, again, it's, 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 this whole project's been a lot of information gathering, um, whether it's on real-time figures on what demolition's going to cost or what remediation costs might be or what real liability looks like. Uh, we tried to weigh all that with the risk to the community, and then we, on, on the counter side of that scale. We looked at the community benefit that can come out of this project, and we still weighed down and said, look, there's enough community benefit to be had here that the risk is worthwhile. Talking with Chris Richmond of Moving Pillsbury Forward, and Chris, as you noted, there was a phase one study done, but you have to have still a phase two environmental study done. How does that differ, and what's the potential that that could reveal something uh, perhaps bigger than what you're expecting right now or that might require some really intensive and costly remediation of the site? Right. Right. So, and we knew right from the get-go that we would need to do a phase two based on all the U.S. EPA work that took place there uh, back in 2017. Uh, now, they did over $3 million worth of cleanup back in 2017, but we knew there was still some contamination at the site. That's essentially why we have to have this phase two study done where they're going to come in and they're going to take samples from the buildings. They're also going to do soil core samples to um, tell us what kind of problems there may be in the soil or if there aren't problems in the soil. Uh, so that sort of testing will be done uh, in, in the next three to four months. Uh, I believe if we can get a contract signed, our goal is to sign a contract with a reputable, uh, well-known environmental firm within the next 30 days, and they should be able to be on-site in May. So... That testing for the phase two will be done and it'll give us a report that'll have a roadmap for what remediation needs to take place at the site. And then we can work in concert with the Illinois EPA uh, to move that forward. What I thought was one of the most interesting details from the news conference yesterday where this was all announced was that you essentially just took uh, acquisition of the title. It was simply a transfer to you for a cost of $1 for you to to take this on. Uh, But now this property belongs to moving Pillsbury forward. At some point in an ideal set of circumstances, this is going to become, well, I'm assuming the the goal is here for private development as opposed to a, a government project. I guess what I'm asking is, what what becomes of this land? Do you eventually sell it to a private developer? And it's certainly going to go for more than a dollar. So where where do those proceeds go and, and what happens to all of that? 
Yes, the, and, and that is, and that's the clearly stated long-term goal of the project for the last uh, two and a half years was to uh, get this property in such a position uh, where we're able to clean it up to a point at which it's attractive for redevelopment in the private redevelopment world. Um, what we knew, though, is that, that local government, state and federal government would have to get involved because as the as the property sits now, it's it's a, a net negative value because everybody knows it has some level of contamination and unusable buildings that just need uh, torn down. Uh, but once we can get that bar down to a level where uh, the legal entanglements are cleared up, where uh, the the demolition is largely complete, and we know what the environmental question marks look like, that's when it can become uh, attractive to a private developer, they can put time frames and dollar figures on their development of that site, and then we can uh, see about transferring it uh, into into a private development. Um, so clearly, we would look to sell the property uh, for development uh, is probably our primary option uh, once uh, most of this is is cleared up. Um, that will be largely that money would likely go into an offset for money spent uh, to get it cleaned up though so at the end of the day we're a not-for-profit we're, we're not in this to to make money um it's likely to be a um an, an even sum game is what we're looking for what we really want to see is that property back into production for the community and on the tax rolls, paying property tax just like it did for decades uh, it prior to the closure. It certainly seems like the, the best chance we've had in 20-plus years to actually have meaningful redevelopment of this site. But it, it's not a, a guaranteed home run. For one thing, you've still got that big rail yard that sits right next to, to the property here, which isn't necessarily the most attractive feature for somebody looking to develop that, either for residential or for commercial or some combination of both. How does that impact uh, the uh, the potential for redevelopment down the road? Right, you're you're right. That does impact what we get. What we have now is heavy industrial zoning, uh, and it is attached to a rail yard. So there is some potential that the and and we have to talked to the rail yard owners uh, in the past, and and we imagine we'll be reaching out to them again soon, letting them know that we now own it, and we will activate them to see if they have any of their rail yard customers that have a need for a site adjacent to a rail yard. Um, that could potentially bring jobs to the area and a light to medium industrial use on the site. Um, we'd love to see that. That would, again, uh, get get the money flowing and, and get the property back into productive use. Um, you know, if we can't do that, we will do the environmental testing and see if it's at some point suitable for housing or potentially other uses. Um, you know, the good things about the site is it, it's got heavy utilities coming into it, both electricity and water. It's well connected toward the center of town where there's 12,000 people that live within one mile. So there's a ready workforce uh, nearby for any um, business use that might go in there. So there is potential uh, for the property um, that's, that's promising. So we'll, we'll activate our economic development folks here in the community and, and see what we can turn up.
if the the light to medium industrial use doesn't necessarily pan out and you have to look to other forms of development there, it seems like the other potential hurdle you face is the, the hurdle that uh, uh, we have faced in that area of town and other uh, less developed areas of town for decades, which is that it's just really, really hard to find capital to invest in areas that have fallen on hard times. Uh, why would somebody want to build there when they can... Uh, go to other properties on the west side or down at the south end of town where there's more population, more traffic already built in, less of a stigma attached to it. How big a challenge is that going to be for the the ultimate end resolution of this project? Right. You know, any kind of development you do, that's, that's going to be a challenge. Um, that's why for the last 50 years, in large part, we've seen uh, instead of redevelopment on older brownfield type sites or, or grayfield type sites, as they're called, reuse sites, we've expanded out into green fields and covered up our our farm ground. Um, really, the the attraction here we've we've got it because it this ground is positioned within an opportunity zone, so that's a federal opportunity zone that can give whatever large uh, company were to come in, they could get opportunity opportunity zone tax credits. It's also in an enterprise zone. And here just recently, it was added by the city into the SHA TIF district. So there there are three different uh, incentive packages uh, for economic redevelopment at this site uh, currently. And uh, again, it's got this uh, central location with um, very good utilities uh, right at the site. Often, in new greenfield uh, developments on the edges, uh, those utilities are costly to get run out to those new sites. Uh, those already exist right where we're at here with uh, water, sewer, and electricity. Finally, Chris Richman, before, before we let you go, uh, there is going to be a public meeting coming up at the end of April uh, to talk about this and to gather, gather some public input on what people would like to see ultimately happen here at the Pillsbury site. Give us the details on that, please. Right. Right. As we've done in the past, in the in the pre-COVID era, we had two public meetings at Landfair High School and the Commons. Uh, those were well received and well attended by folks in the neighborhoods. We've decided that's what we're that's where we're going to start again. So on April 27th, uh, that's a Wednesday evening from 6 to 8 p.m., uh, we're going to host a public meeting again at Landfair Commons, Landfair High School. Uh, doors will open at 5:30. We anticipate that we'll uh, we'll welcome folks in, have a little bit of a sign in, and a brief survey for them to take. Um, and then I'll I'll discuss the site where where we're at with the site and the community, and we'll take questions from the community and and hear their concerns and hear their dreams about what they'd like to see there. And uh, we're really looking forward to that. 